0: From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast.
3: Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. I'm your host, John Gordon. And joining me today is the owner of Castile Creek Kennels in Gower, Missouri and a senior member of the Sport Dog Pro Staff and one of the top professional retriever trainers in the country. It's uh, Lyle Steinman. Welcome to the podcast, Lyle.
2: Well, thank you for having us on this beautiful morning.
3: I wanted to start out talking about a little bit about your history, how you get started as a professional trainer and, and what it is about retrievers that, that you really love working with, that those, those dogs and competing in the retriever games
2: how'd you really get started? Oh, well, it started way back in high school and I love dogs. And I had a gentleman, of my neighbor's, one of my classmates, neighbor's grandfather I said, Hey, can you teach me how to trap coons? He goes, absolutely. So I started trapping raccoons in the winter and that got boring. And cause I, he was good at it and he taught me and I'd catch them every time. So I go. I think I want to try that that coonhound deal. So I started with coonhound and went to coonhound dogs. And then my wife Stephanie in high school uh, were childhood sweethearts, and she would come up and go coon hunt with me. So we'd coon hunt in my high school days and run night hunts and things like that. And and it still gives me goosebumps thinking about chasing them hounds, you know, at night and and the adrenaline rush, a tree and coons, and it was phenomenal, you know, to say the least. And then. Went decided I needed a little more action and and went into bird dogs and then went to horseback bird dogs. Oh, I don't like horses. Okay, and I found that out real quick that you gotta ride a horse to chase these bird dogs. Well, I was out on out on that gig. Uh and then I bought my first puppy for $150. It'd been in nineteen eighty-six from one of my mentors, the late Leland Sonny Ellison. And that's what caused that problem. And so Sonny would take me and and coach me and teach me. And I had a black lab male named Doc. And he could run any blind that you want to set up. But he couldn't find a snow goose in the bed of your truck. Okay. He, He couldn't mark. And I figured out real quick, I didn't have enough horsepower. So I found him a good guy that wanted to hunt all the time. And they went to go hunt. And then I went to a dog named Blitz. And I'm still an amateur at this time. And I uh, went to call Bill Eckett, the late Bill Eckett, and he had a client that had a dog named Blitz for sale. His name was Blitzen, and there were eight puppies born on Christmas Day, and you had to name them after a reindeer. So that was kind of unique. And so I started with Blitz in the late eighties, early nineties, and uh, ran my first master national and and discovered I did not have enough horsepower. I said, uh oh. So I went back to training. And as an amateur, I wanted to assemble eight to ten dogs that were the best of the best. And I got to eight. And I mean, they were powerful master dogs. And and I I was taught by field trialers. Sonny was a field trialer, and so was Mr. Eckett. Um, so my concepts and teachings are all from field trial backgrounds. So I would set up field trial marks and I kept pushing these dogs and and they were doing very well on the weekends, the master tests and I had a gentleman out of Iowa that I, I seen him in October at the national derby championship. And I told him, you're the reason I'm here because you made me take your dog to a hunt test. And I took your money and that should have never done that. So that was, we laughed about that. And then it just kind of rolled on from there. And, and I had great teachers. I surrounded myself with the talent. Uh, and it was no different. We were talking about Jimmy Johnson. Uh, I was one of the greatest evaluators of football talent there's ever been. And I guess that was my gift of of finding that dog that fit my program. may not be the best dog, but the best dog to fit that program. And so I kept assembling dogs or, or finding dogs. And, and at that time, I was working young dogs, puppies, but I didn't have that many. I was still an amateur and I owned a company in Kansas City and could go do that and then go train in the afternoons. And then in 2002, late 2002, I decided to turn pro. Everybody thinks I've been around forever, but it's I haven't really trained professionally till then. And so I started running master tests and I'd run 15 to 20 some master tests a year, uh, getting ready for the master national and and things like that. And And so... After doing that, and I think I ran my first Super Retriever Series event in 2006 with River. Uh, and we qualified and we really didn't know what we had done. Okay. Uh, but shortly after that, we ran the crown in 2007 and I won it with River. And that was the time that Sport Dog approached me was in the fall of 2007, uh, with Kevin Lee and so kevin lee and i became friends and and i was using another product at that time and kevin lee goes i don't care uh but when that come about i said absolutely so it, it's amazing i was talking to gretchen the other day about how long i've had three sponsors and sport dog in 2007 and, and country vet in 2006 and then shortly after that zoom dog supplements so that's kind of a longevity of that but down the road we've we've won seven crown championships and over 3500 master passes which is ridiculous to be honest with you nobody nobody should have that many but at that time you had to requalify every year so you had to run a lot of events to get the dogs qualified and so it, it's now at oh lord 58 gonna be 59 next june and i know where i'm at in my career and i brought on clark kennington to run the grand in the super retriever series and lewis west is a A young talent that's extremely gifted with young dogs, and I'm kind of preparing these guys for the future from what I've built, and and it's it's been a slow process, I guess you'd say, of buying property and developing ponds and kennels and things like that. So it's kind of been a a a long process, but it seems like it's went very fast.
3: Exactly. yeah like I said most people probably think you've been in the game for you know uh, 30 years at least I would think and mm-hmm. you know it, it's uh, it's kind of uh, interesting that uh, doing a little research on it uh, sport dog brand um, that uh, they were formed by radio systems corporation in 2003 same time that that you really uh, became a professional so they mm-hmm. haven't been around uh, as as long either so it seems like the, the the two of y'all have grown together Um Working with dogs. Um, Yeah, let's talk about the SRS for just a second for people that don't know what that is. It's a Super Retriever series. And I've been to a couple of events, been to a crown, and I've seen these dogs perform at the the very highest levels. What I really love about the Super Retriever series is the hybrid nature of it. It's not necessarily a hunt test, not necessarily a field trial. Expand on your success there a little bit. You know, seven crown champions is unbelievable. Uh, of, of of why you think that that your dogs and your program have done so well in the SRS?
2: Well, it was a uh, a competition that was basically designed, you know, if I could go out and design a competition back then uh, for me and my kennel, that would have been it because I ran the master tests. I trained like a field trialer, even though I didn't run very many field trials, but I would run three and four and five, 600-yard marks and blinds because I just can't run 100-yard stuff every day. About makes me ill. And I would push them dogs. And what what has basically happened at this kennel is you take a good master dog and you throw those concepts at him, it makes him a great master dog. So you were taking uh, dogs that were very good, but pushing them at umpteen distances made them great. Uh And and using you know Avery ATV birds is extremely difficult because it's it's rubber, and you know you you have to mark the birds with your eyes and be fairly close to them to smell them where you can smell a bird a lot farther away, and and you know the SRS is I've I've won a lot of money playing the game and I've won two dog trailers and and things like that, but I've never I never really I was taught you know. I've never ran the SRS for the money, okay? It was nice, but it was nice, the competition. And it and like you said, it is extremely difficult because I've had field trial dogs in here that were very accomplished that can't do the hunt test game. And then you've got great, great hunt test dogs that can't go the distance, three, four, five, 600 yards. You're, you're looking for a freak is what you're looking for. You're looking for in football terms, I'm looking for a Patrick Mahomes. Every day, that's what I'm looking for. And and it's like I tell the boys, we have today. We have Hatch. We've got Jordan. We've got those great animals that are seven, eight years old, but we're looking at the future with Ravi and AJ and, and Bob and several of these young dogs that are two to three years old for the future uh, of building that sport. But it's just a competition that you can watch it on live stream and go back and watch it. The crown championship finished in November. You can go back and watch that, or you can Google that and YouTube it. It's all over that. But the way the dogs have progressed as far as talent uh, is unbelievable to see. For us to ask those dogs to do that kind of work, uh, you got to say, you're nuts. You know, And it's, it's like watching the National Derby Championship in Sedalia at Mr. Hayden's place. These are ten series in five days with babies under two years of age, picking up hen pheasants, picking up hen pheasants as a memory bird. You just shake your head, going, "What? What have we? We're asking things." These dogs with with the development of better, uh, you know, equipment from from sport dog. Absolutely, you know, the collars and and that is the remote release systems and all that. I mean, the 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 equipment has changed. The dogs have changed. And we've become better trainers.
3: You, you're talking about talent evaluation, and I think a lot of our listeners would be would be curious about this. Is that uh, what are you looking for in a young dog that would tell you, okay, that dog has it, you know, versus uh, just you know a dog that that really is not going to be able to to run at the highest level?
2: Well, it's it starts at you know we've got hatch puppies that out of Scarlet that were born on Halloween. And there's seven of those, and we're probably going to keep two or three or four of them. And what we'll do is each one of us will take one of those pups, okay, and raise it in the house and start doing puppy marks and introduce to pigeons and things like that. And then, you know, at seven weeks and eight weeks of age, okay, we're starting to look for that development. And, you know, we're looking for a needle in a haystack or, or worse than that. And our theory is, is we're looking for that exceptional, special puppy. And once you have one of those and you see it, you go, that's it. I got a shot. And then you go into six months, you, you start your formal training. But, you know, you're asking a six month old puppy to do a 100 to 200 yard, you know, mark in the field. And then you're developing him. I would say the first six months to eight months of, of this puppy's life is you're hoping that that gives you the the sign that, hey, we're. We're heading in the right direction. And then you get like 18 months of age. I think you're starting to see that like Ravi. We've seen that when he was a young dog. Um, you know, Ravi was a national derby finalist. And and you see the intensity in, in his work ethic. You know, not every dog or every puppy is going to be a crown qualifier. Uh, and that's so hard to explain to most of our listeners is, We're not looking for pro ball. We're looking for all-stars and all-pro. And it's such a fine line uh, in that. And with our program here is we don't need the best athlete. We just need the one that believes in the system, that is a team player, that you're not going to do it right every day, but you're going to give it everything you got effort-wise. So you're looking for that, an overachiever. I mean, I'm an overachiever. Uh, my grandfather told me, if you do your job, you will be paid. And that's the same with work ethic. Uh, we're not the best trainers here, but you know, the boys are already over at the bar farm this morning, throwing marks, you know, we don't have time to hunt, you know what I'm saying? So, and to play at that, to play at that level that we're wanting to play at, you know, it's, it's 14 months out of the year. Right, right.
3: Yeah, I've told people that before. It's like, oh, you know, it'd be great to be a professional trainer. or something. you think so? I said, shadow one for a week and see how much work is involved in it. And like you said, you better have, you better be willing to outwork the other guy because everybody is out there, you know, working and giving their best shot. You know, anybody that's successful in the retriever game is out there right now. You know, was out there Thanksgiving morning, oh. was out there, you know, uh, working on dogs. And uh, that's the difference that I've seen between pros that are, that are good and ones that are great. You know, it's, it's, you were talking about work ethic, and it's, it's, it's a huge part of it.
2: Well, I called one of my old assistants this morning. It was 7 o'clock, okay? And he's, he is from Kentucky, and he is a big Kentucky Wildcats fan, okay, basketball. And of course, we're from Missouri, and we don't have a whole lot to root for. A lot of times, other than the Chiefs, but our basketball team is six and zero or seven and zero. And and I called him and I said, I just wanted to tell you we are on a collision course for the Kentucky Wildcats. And he goes, he was I could hear him in doing yard work. He said, Can I call you tonight and we'll give each other a hard time about basketball? And I said, Bud, I'm very proud of you. Go do your job, okay? And and he left us to go work for a field trailer, which is wonderful. And and with us here, it's kind of like if we bring in that super athlete, and we've got them. If it's a new owner, and we go, hey, this animal should be playing another game, we'll tell you that. You know, we'll never hold back an animal from playing a game that it needs to be playing. And there's dogs out there that should be playing hunt test game only, and there's dogs that should be out there playing field trial games only. But yeah, it's evaluating that talent and going, I think I got something here. And and what the benefit? With Clark coming and joining us in July, and Lewis is with us, is you've got three experienced trainers that, especially with Clark and I, is there's dogs that Clark is going to be better at and with handling and training than I am. And we've already seen that uh, already in a couple SRS events where, you know, I can only run eight dogs. Well, Clark's running my second team and getting second, third, and fifth with with a couple dogs. So that's wonderful to see that. And there's dogs that Clark, says, hey, this dog is is more suited for you than me. And, and that's a benefit uh, of having two trainers with a lot of experience. And Clark's won two crown championships. So you, you got the benefit of, of two guys that see dogs in a different situation. And what we've seen already together training is, I'll set up a set of marks. My dogs will do fine and Clark's can't. Clark has set up a set of marks and my guys can't do it. So we've, we've determined that when we train together, we need to split setting up marks and that we've already seen a benefit
3: of that that's actually two perspective you know two perspectives it's, it's really uh that's that's huge you know um because you know most guys are out there on their own um, you know with one perspective and and the addition of another one uh, especially a guy like clark kennington who, like you said who's had really great success as well uh, in the srs it's got to be a huge uh, a huge feather in the cap uh for castile creek for sure absolutely Yeah, shift gears for a little I want to talk about e collars for a second, electronic collars, because we're talking about you know the sport dog product and everything, and, and and the evolution of them has been really remarkable. Um, you know, I started you know fooling around with some hunt test stuff in the early '90s, and from, I, just from what I've seen from those collars from here to there is huge. And then of course you go back into the you know the 1970s with the collars and. You know, from what I understand those days, they were really, you know, you had to have the right dog to even be able to take the amount of pressure that you had to put on a dog with a collar that was really not very flexible. Uh, How have the e-collars really uh, evolved and how have they really helped you train, you know, high-level retrievers?
2: Well, I I think it's a situation. I was just thinking back when you're talking about that. I've got, I traded years ago an old Tritronics collar. I think it was an A170. Okay? Yeah, that's and the 70s, early collar, right? Whew, yeah, that was it. It was hot, wasn't it? And I, <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was like an arc welder. And you and I was laughing because the guy goes, this this collar probably doesn't even work. Well, it, it's kind of like having an old football signed by Jim Brown or Jim, you know, all them guys. You know, it's kind of something, what do you call it, memorabilia kind of stuff. But I got it downstairs. I even know where it's at, believe it or not. But I remember my mentor showing this, and, and it, you had to change the plugs out. Mm-hmm. So it had six plugs in it and you a little bit, uh, plastic, not a plastic bag, but a little bag. And you'd open it up kind of like pulling snuff out of a can. You pull your plug out and you stick the collar in. Well, you only had one setting and then, then that collar would have an antenna on it. Okay. So you'd stretch that antenna up kind of like a CB antenna. And I'm going, Oh man, what are we, you know, what do we come to today? And you're right. Those, those dogs have been, you know, the Rex car days and, and things like that, that took a different kind of animal to take that nice way of putting pressure or correction. Uh, and now we're into collars that, you know, from a flip of a switch, we can turn them up, turn them down, and and the the range on them, and and the size, and you know, there's so many, you know, tremendous progress that Sport Dog has done in developing these collars over the course of these years, and, and changing with the times i think that's the biggest thing since 2007 when i joined them is the development of the collars uh and and how they've done it and the size and the structures and the intensity levels because sport dog in my opinion is the only one i know that you can change the intensity on the collar but also on the transmitter which is huge because no professional dog trainer or amateur trainer wants to apply any more pressure to a, to a dog than has to be. That's not fun training, you know, but you do have those dogs, those dogs out there that are just stubborn. That's just the best way to put it. Stubborn
3: yeah that's it and it, I was you know once again researching the the sport dog line, and they've really uh, have got a wide choice of collar you know basically to, to feed any any specific need that you have from the yard trainer wetland hunter uh, sport hunter upland hunter for more of the bird dog crowd for the hound group. You were talking about running hounds earlier mm-hmm. they've got the whole hound hunter line as well and one thing I like about the sport dog stuff as well is it's very flexible with a number of dogs you can add to a particular receiver. You know, most of them are, you can run at least two to up to six dogs off off of one receiver with different collars. So I think that's a real plus uh, for the sport dog line. Which collar Which collar do you use?
2: I use several different collars. And, and it's kind of like my grandfather also taught me that money is replaceable, but time is not. And so you you talk about using, like I'll use on a water setup, I'll use three different collars. Okay, I have one going, one coming, one in the holding blind, and setting it up because we've got a setup that would normally take you 15 to 20 minutes. I'm running a dog out as one's going out for a mark, one coming back. And I've had them within three or four feet swimming by each other. And and there's a lot of dogs that don't like each other on the truck, and you can hear them growl at each other as they go by, you know. Uh, but that's that's <laughs> it's I need to videotape that sometimes. Time saving. Time-saving situations that instead of being out there twelve hours, I can be out there eight or nine hours and doing something else. But you know, it uh, collar-wise, probably my favorite collar uh, is the Sport Dog twenty-five twenty-five, which is a hound collar. Uh, but I grew up in that time frame of that transmitter fits my hand and fits my pocket the best. Okay, uh, and 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 I think it depends on. You know, my hands aren't very big, so the buttons don't really matter on that 25. But if you're big hands, that 25-25 is an excellent collar. Plus, you can change the intensity level one, two, or three on the collar itself and still have the zero to eight or nine on there to use it. So you can if you have a lighter dog, it takes less pressure, you can turn it down to a one, or if you got dog that's a little stubborn, you can go to a four or five. And and after a while, the dial, I don't need to look at the dial, I know where I'm at on it, I'm just using it that much uh when we do have a chance you know you know when the guys are doing yard work i like the eighteen twenty fives. uh there's they're size wise they fit in your palm real well uh it's it's good to use those when you're doing you know the five leg patterns or your your pile work or you know force if you have to go to the collar with some force bench you can use them on the table and stuff like that so that's an excellent collar and then you know there are other collars i think it's a twelve twenty five. is good for you know, if you have a house dog, or it's not your lab, or you retired a dog, you can use that. You don't need any pressure, just kind of for 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 size wise. But you know, any one of those three or four collars is is an excellent you know choice. It just depends on what you want, and 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 sometimes you need that. You know, there's a lot of collars or dogs that need the 25, 25, and the rest of the dogs need the 18, 25. Um, so it just kind of goes back and forth with with which dog you're working.
3: I got you. I think it should be pointed out to our listeners, too, that, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, e-collars. And, and, you know, there's an entire program, you know, involved around collar conditioning and everything. You know, you can't just throw a collar on a dog no. and expect results. No. I mean, people have to know this is a whole building process for a dog knows how to turn off the, the stimulation for correction and everything else. And it it, um, it it's not something you take lightly, uh, for sure.
2: Well, no. And I, and I mean, like, the, when you go hunting, a lot of our guys do hunt and and but when i when i get a chance to go i like the 1825 because the size it fits in your waders uh i don't like putting around the neck because i usually got a whistle or a duck call around uh my neck but the the 1825 the Campbell one's an excellent choice for the black one either one of them it fits in that it's very small and you got enough stuff you got your gun the shells the bags you got so much other stuff to worry about uh but know that the 1825 is an excellent excellent choice
3: that's another good point too. If a dog has been trained up th- with a collar throughout the mid progression of training, you need to use one in hunting situation as well. And I think a lot of folks will, you know, will, you know, the, 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 they'll get the dog back from the trainer and they don't continue to use the collar the way it's supposed to be used and the dog, you know, realizes, "Hey, well, I can get away with a lot more than I could before." Uh so I think that it's an important point to make that you've got to continue with the with the use of the collar in the field as well.
2: Well, it's a safety device, okay? A uh, guy goes, I really don't like using the collar when I go hunting. Well, I had a dog several years ago that was uh, a field champion that was collar conditioned, I, And I made this guy, I knew how he was. I made him promise that he'd put a collar on this dog. I said, you promise? He goes, I do. I said, because i tell you right now, you shoot a duck or a goose for this dog, he's going to go get it at any distance. And they were hunting him on Smithfield Lake, and a, and a bird sailed out, okay, into big water. And that dog would have drowned getting that goose or duck, I don't remember what it was, but they, they got him turned around and got him back in with the electric collar. And, then, you know, they were blowing the coming whistle and tapping him with the collar and they saved his life. So, I mean, it's a deal where whether you're bird hunting or your your duck hunting, it's a safety feature. It's an extension of a choke chain or, or a lead. And, and you, you know, you want to protect this animal, whether it be training, hunting, going for a walk. I mean, there's a lot of dogs we do obedience on that well i really don't know if i want the dog collar conditioned well we're going to collar condition so when you need it it'll already be in there in your tools in your in your toolbox and so yeah it's a it's a safety feature and so many guys just don't understand why i mean it's safety you got a dog you're bird hunting and it's chasing a pheasant across the road and you hear a truck coming well what are you going to do you're going to you know you're going to try and get the dog under control uh and save that animal's life is probably what it'll end up doing
3: Exactly, exactly, and also, folks, uh, in the Sport Dog line, it's not just collars. You know, uh, uh, you got a full line of, of bumpers, launcher electronics, check cords, healing sticks. Pretty much one stop shop for for all your retriever training um, and bird dog hound training needs. Uh, right there at Sport Dog, am I correct?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the remote release system. Uh, we use it on the wingers, and we use them on the thunder launchers. And and I've used other remote release systems. And the sport dog remote release system is by far the best product out there on the market. It's the most, it's easiest to work. It works every time. Uh, you just got to be careful if you're using wingers and it's compatible. You got to change some things. And then then you get into your bark collars. I mean, as a dog trainer, we've got a lot of bark collars. But if, if you're living in town and your neighbors don't like it, I mean, the bark collar, put them on and, and it, it keeps peace in your neighborhood, let alone in your kennel. Uh, But, yeah, the check cords, I love their check cords. They float, you know, when you're working young puppies. And, I mean, the bumpers, they've got a gazillion different kinds of bumpers as far as, you know, three inches and two inches. And uh, it it makes things a lot easier uh, to see their product lines. And, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that, that, you know, that works. But the biggest thing I'd say with Sport Dog is is, uh, their customer service is probably the best there is. Okay, you got a problem, the collar, you don't understand how it works. I mean, when I started with them, I had troubles programming the collars together. You make a call and they go walk you through it and they're done. But, yeah, if you've got a problem with any of their products, they'll go, you know, hey, let's work, let's work on it together.
3: That's that's a really good point there, and that's, that's great. You know, inevitably, you're going to run into some things with collars sometimes that you just can't figure out. So, you really need that support system to, to help you out uh, to figure out what's going on.
2: Exactly. And, like, when we train a dog, I mean, I'm not saying you have to use a sport dog collar. But it's very helpful for, you know, like one of our clients, we had a retired dog come in and, and, I, and I told Jerry, you know, he was going to duck hunt. And I said, well, she's on a two or three plug on a, you know, two or three setting on your sport dog. He's he OK. Well, that helps him out because he doesn't know if she's on a one or an eight, but the, the same intensity level is going to be fairly consistent from one collar to the next.
3: Yeah, that's another thing we're talking about evolution of collars. So so much easier to use now. Like you were talking about the old collars where you had to change contact points and you had to change, you know, to change intensity levels and everything. And now it's just at the at your fingertips.
2: Yeah, it's just quick right there. You can flip the switch up or low on one dog or another if you're trying to work an honoring situation. Or if you're hunting two dogs and you go, okay, I got red on this dog and blue on the other. And that's what we do. We use different electrical tape collars so we can see the collar. You know when it's flapping, what what dog is wearing, what color. But yeah, the intensity level you can change, and 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 the dogs. The, the thing with sport dog is, is we've got into a society of which is, the collars have remained the same with sport dogs. Okay, uh, some of these manufacturers have taken pressure uh, of lowering the intensity level on their collars because of peer pressure and in sport dog is held true to form is is you know we're going to leave them alone you can turn the collar down that's what i was always taught you can start low you can always go up but you can't go back down okay and and that's the thing is is some of these dogs uh, and we've all got them that are just stubborn they need a little more attrition to get over that hump and once you're over the hump then everything's fine but if you don't have enough Hump, I guess you'd say you're never going to get over the hump, and it's going to take longer to to train that dog or get a correction on that dog.
3: This has been great, uh, Lyle. I mean, very informative uh, for our listeners. You know, talking about collars and then retrievers in general, and uh, we really uh, thank you for being on the, the DU podcast with us.
2: Well, thanks for having us, and like I say, anytime you guys need something you guys holler at us and we'll sure help you know any of the listeners that listen to the podcast and sport dog and we're always out there available i mean that's what a lot of people don't understand is you know they can pick up the phone and they'll call me and i don't know everything but it's a learning situation training questions for me is hey i don't know the answer to this but let's go find out and and i made a comment the day that all my mentors have left me and so i want to teach my guys what i've been taught uh, or teach someone else that to help them get along down the road or make their dogs better. And that, at the end of the day, that's what we're doing, whether it be hunting, having a good time with friends and family, or, or training, is we want to make the, the dogs better.
3: Yeah, very good. That, that, that's everybody's goal. And along those lines, we'd like to thank Sport Dog for their support of Ducks Unlimited, not just Ducks Unlimited, but all the, the conservation organizations that they're involved with. They uh, They're really believers in giving back to the resource, and we're very thankful for that. So once again, folks, thanks for listening to the Ducks Unlimited podcast and for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport.